0: Hey! Hello! Hi! Welcome to and or back to the Equa Theory podcast. I am your host, Jill Therese, and this week's episode, I would like to dive into a topic that I just oh my god cannot shut up about. So, as many of you who listen to the podcast semi regularly may know, I'm a bit of a reader, bit of a nerd. Bit of a can't stop absorbing everything that I can possibly get my hands on as far as information goes, and um, I've talked about it in the past couple of episodes just because it's it's been top of mind because it's been what I've been reading. But I finished yesterday reading the book "The Body Keeps the Score," and um, is a book about healing from trauma and all that that entails. And horses uh, happen to be a big part of that. But in also reading that for my budding professional career as a therapist, I couldn't help but notice parallels between what I've seen in my work with horses and a lot of what we experience in the horse world. So I I sort of want to have a little book talk, if you will, and talk about some of the high points, um, some things I took away from the book, and have a conversation around how some of those concepts apply to. Our work with horses, so I'm not sure because I have neurotically taken notes. Not sure if there will be a part one and part two to this. That is my thinking since I haven't finished all of my notes, and there might be some that I would like to include. Uh, But yeah, I'm I'm curious to to start this little. I don't know. It could be a series when I read books. I'd like to keep in mind the podcast and how it applies to horses, and then sort of do a little review and tell you what i've learned and how it could help you and your horse so let me know if you like this idea but without further ado let's get into it Alrighty, friends and family folk you know before we get into the content of the episode we got to do, we got to do some ad slots here. So I'm I'm going to insert them in just a second, but I do want to take a moment to tell you about Supercast. You can become a member of the EquiTheory podcast, a subscriber, a supporter. You get to choose what you pay every month and you get a bunch of cool benefits and access, including ad-free episodes. So if you don't want to hear these ads anymore, be sure to become a member. The link will be in the description or you can type in EquiTheory on supercast.com. Let's get those ads. Alrighty guys, without further ado, let's have our book talk y'all. That's so fun. So fun. I love reading and I hope you do too. Um, and if you don't, you don't have to read it. You can just listen to me talk about it, I guess. Um, but I do have some prefacy things I want to say first. So first things first, I thoroughly enjoyed this book as a clinician. I do not know that the book is necessarily written for trauma survivors. Um, I say that because it is extremely graphic in descriptions of um, all forms of assault and traumatic experiences, so it's, it's something to be mindful of if that is a book that you choose to pick up, do so at your own risk and be careful that you are respecting your boundaries and where you're at. Um, it has a lot of really good stuff in it, but it might be a book that I believe is maybe more geared toward clinicians that are working with trauma more so than people working to heal their own. So, um, if you are interested in pursuing, you know, therapy for your own trauma, um, I would recommend personally to find a therapist that is well-versed in trauma that maybe does some somatic therapy, EMDR, um, more holistic approaches, um, that sort of thing more so than maybe CBT or some of the more cognitive based ones. Um, as the, the research is growing really in the areas of sort of what we might call alternative therapies, but are really maybe more traditional Eastern, not so Westernized industrial country type, um, modality. So it's it's really fascinating, that body of research. So hoping that that continues growing and because it, it seems promising. So that said, also this, ther- or this podcast is not uh, a replacement for therapy or anything of that nature. These are personal musings of somebody that is studying it and practicing it, but not a replacement or advice for your own therapy. So take everything I say with a grain of salt, feel free to do your own research. But Yes. Okay. So other things to note is that I, in finishing the book and reading reviews on it and stuff, um, I have seen a lot of controversy around the author as an individual and potentially as a clinician. And I just, I can't speak to, to that. All I can speak to is what I read in the book and the, uh, research and science that's out there. And yeah, so I'm going to quit rambling, just going to get into it. So, a lot of the way that trauma shows up in horses, right is a lot of spooking, a lot of high reactivity, sensitivity, uh behavioral problems, uh violence, <laughs> fight, flight, freeze, shut down, learned helplessness, all of those things and um you know, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that we have dealt with a lot of those things and talked about addressing a lot of those things. But I I think it's interesting to look at it from the perspective of a trauma response, and not so much a behavioral issue. And one thing that I've learned in reading about trauma is uh, what I'm sure we've all long suspected is that behavioral issues are largely going to be a traumatic response. So especially with horses, the the behavioral problems that show up with them are not necessarily species appropriate um, and don't occur in the wild and are the result of man-made problems. You know, we, we manufacture them into the animal by the way that we keep them, the way that we feed them, the way that we train them, all of those things that are unnatural and species inappropriate. So, what happens when you do those things is you also have all of these little outgrowths that are behavioral problems, such as bucking, rearing, biting, uh, flinching when you touch them. You know the ulceric conditions, um, and so in in dealing with those, I think it's important to look at, you know, not always the why matters so much, um, but just just for the sake of learning and fully understanding concepts I think it is I like to look at the why personally it's just it's fascinating to me but in order to resolve an issue you don't necessarily have to understand where it originated for example if you're working with a horse and they have a bucking problem you don't necessarily have to know oh well this horse used to be a bronc or this horse had a saddle that fit uh poorly um you know, whatever the case may be, you don't have to know, but starting over in the training and really creating a solid foundation will likely get rid of the um, problematic behavior in and of itself. So you don't really need to know why, but for the sake of understanding, learning, and an interesting podcast topic, I'd like to talk about it. So um, some things to know out the gate that are probably going to be semi important to this episode, and I just think are interesting, are some neuroscience, effective neuroscience terms. Um, I just like the word neuroscience. Can you tell? Um, so, one that you need to know is the autonomic nervous system. That is going to be your the way that your body manages. Things in life. It's different from your central nervous system. Your autonomic nervous system is largely responsible for flight, fight, freeze, rest, digest, Um, managing your body's energy flow in terms of preparing it to expend energy and conserve energy. So the sympathetic branch of the autonomic nervous system is the accelerator. It is the one that's responsible for those increases in heart rate and sweating and shutting down your digestive system because you don't need to digest food when you're running for your life. So this is the fight, flight, freeze branch. This is the one that responds to threats. And on the flip side, the other branch of the autonomic nervous system is your parasympathetic nervous system. So sympathetic is, comes from the, I believe, Greek word sympathos, which is means emotions. And parasympathetic is the, it, it means against emotions. So it's the break. So sympathetic is the accelerator, ramps you up, fight, flight, freeze. Parasympathetic is the break. It winds you down. It's your rest and digest. So like it sounds, it is responsible for sort of that life-sustaining features the rest and digest healing um and it's it's the one we engage when we're communicating socially and relaxing with people that we're comfortable around and enjoy um and that that starts going into more of polyvagal theory which i truthfully know the bare minimum about it's something that i'm interested in reading more about um, it doesn't seem something that has widely been accepted in the scientific community um, is something that's still being explored from what I understand. But I think it's interesting and provides a lot of guidance and holds a lot of wisdom in terms of how to conceptualize the way our minds and bodies work together. Um, so, anyway, off that tangent the, that's the, your sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system all under the autonomic umbrella. So those things you see a lot in horses. So when they're out in the field grazing with their head down, swatting flies, standing next to all their buddies, they're predominantly in parasympathetic nervous system. When a, you know, a dog jumps out of the bushes and their head goes up and they tense their body and they they might poop a little bit and they might stop chewing. They're in sympathetic nervous system now where they're in preparing to fight, flight and freeze and expend energy by shutting down the non-essential functions such as digestion. Um, so what's interesting um, in that I read in the book was that your breath has a lot to do with that. Um, so sort of the umbrella term is heart rate variability. So your heart rate vi- variability is, has to do with the way that your breath and heart rate sync up. And so the, the flexibility of your system of your heart rate variability means good. <laughs> so the more flexible, the better. So it means your break and your accelerator are balanced. So when you take a really deep inhale you, you might notice that your heart rate goes up a little bit. It might beat a little harder. And when you exhale, you might notice that your heart rate slows down a little bit and you feel a little bit more, I don't know, like refreshed and nourished in your like arms, legs, and your torso, um, if you're really mindful about it. Um, so what is happening is when you inhale, you're engaging your sympathetic nervous system, And when you exhale, you're engaging the parasympathetic. So you're going up and then you're coming back down every time you breathe. So your heart rate is not supposed to beat the same every time. It will not. Um, But if there's not a lot of fluctuation and your breath and heart rate are not synced, then um, your system's not working super well. So that's my understanding, at least it's, these are concepts (laughs) that lie outside of my wheelhouse, but I'm curious to learn more about. Um, but one of the ways that they found is really, um, beneficial in fixing that, uh, particularly for people that suffer with PTSD is yoga, because yoga is super, super concentrated on how your breath and movement, all sort of interplay. So you can, you can absolutely do yoga by just spreading your legs out on your carpet and stretching, doing warrior one and two. Um, that is certainly in the direction of doing yoga, (laughs) but is it a mindful, dedicated practice? Probably not. Um, so when you practice yoga and you, focus on syncing up your movements every time you shift poses or hold poses with your breath, then you're one, much more mindful, two, much more balanced and stronger and your tolerance for certain poses increases. Um, But beyond that, you're also present. You are in the moment and you are directing your mind to your body. So when you Inhale and you're in a pose, and you exhale and you're paying attention to that. But then you're also paying attention to like, am I engaging my thighs or am I relying on my low back to carry me? Am I like really making sure that my weight is even in each foot or am I off kilter? Am I putting more weight on one? Am I leaning sideways? Is, you know, are my hips square to the front of the mat? All of these things increasing your body awareness befriending your body becoming more in tune with it is incredibly healing number one um and in in like a variety of ways not even number one that is that is the point you know you you gain so many benefits from doing it i hate that it's it's so clowned on and i used to even be one that was like oh yoga you know hmm, mindful but actually practicing it in a, in a dedicated, attentive way, like the benefits speak for themselves. So what on earth, Jill, does that have to do with horses? Um, lots of things. So lots of things you do with horses are very similar to practices that you can do in yoga that help your heart rate variability. So when you're out with your horse in the field, just hanging out, how often are you focusing on your breath and what you feel and what you're touching? You know, we talked, I think in the last episode or two about mindfulness practices with horses. So I won't go super that direction, but what can you do to offer the same to your horse is an interesting take. Um, Number one, I know that there is a book that has yoga inspired principles for horses That book is um, called Core Corrective Exercises for Horses by Visconti Simon Coccoza, I believe. I will make a note to put that in the the show notes. But um, that book has a lot of different exercises that you can do with your horse to help sort of incorporate those principles. Now with a horse, can you say, focus on your inhale and your exhale as you take these mindful movements? No, but you can help the horse concentrate on those things by nature of clicker training, you know, um, by upping the criteria, the first couple of times that you maybe ask for a movement or a step over a pole or whatever, it's just to step over the pole. And then maybe it's to step over it a little slower to hold the leg in there a little longer. You know, you can play with things like that that um, increase that proprioceptive awareness of their bodies, which is redundant. (laughs) But, you know, there are ways to apply those principles of not only when you're working with the horse, but also when the horse is moving and what you're asking them to do and be more mindful in their movements to sort of slow things down instead of being in that accelerated, amped up stage um, of the sympathetic nervous system. And so, you know, there's a time and place for both, of course, but um, to help befriend that body and move that body in a more healing way. So especially I believe this would be helpful for horses that are really, amped up and really have a lot of energy to help them work toward being able to tolerate the more slow methodical movements because the horses that tend to like one comes to mind that we have here. Her name is Tenzing and we call her Ten. And she we when we picked her up from the track, she was supposed to go be a broodmare somewhere else, but then the individual that was going to take her ended up not you know, the situation didn't work out. So she wasn't able to take her. So now we just have this mare. Um, she's got a a bum knee. So she's sort of just a pasture pet. Um, and I can assure you she has zero issue getting around. Uh, but I would love to see her go to, you know, a clicker trainer home. So if you're at all interested, hit me up. Um, but she is a bit of a project because when she first got here, you couldn't walk up to her without her pinning her ears at you, um, or just running away either one. And so now she's gotten to where she'll walk up to you. And we haven't, I mean, nobody's done anything with her outside catcher for the farrier. And um, like, if we just are nice to her, <laughs> when we go out there, she just gets fed. And if she comes up, we give her a little, a little scratchy. And she's like, you can tell she doesn't know, should I trust this or not. And so when I'm around her, I'm very careful to be slow and kind and uh, be very, very attentive to what she's telling me. You know, if she moves her head away from me, I take a step back. If she, you know, her nostril tenses, I take a step back or m- remove my hand, whatever it may be, because she's, she's very quick. So, and, and like everything she does, that might be the best adjective for her is everything is quick. Her energy is very amped up constantly. So, she's not, she doesn't settle. And like, if I, for example, if I walk out into the field with Azula and her whole herd, they'll look at me like glance up lazily and put their heads down. I mean, you know, Azula will normally walk up to me, but like, nobody's like vigilant, but 10 is always standing like a post, like ears pricked intently. She's not, you know, She's not chewing. She's just hard looking at you, ready to take off. And that's that's just where she's at. She's gotten better, but she's still very much that way. And uh, even when all the other horses are relaxed, it's like she doesn't – she's so in that sympathetic system that she doesn't come down with the social engagement to the parasympathetic level. So she she's just very – and um, – there was this quote in the Vander Kolk book that says having a biological system that keeps pumping out stress hormones to deal with real or imagined threats leads to physical problems such as sleep disturbances, headaches, unexplained pain, oversensit- oversensitivity to touch or to sound. And this made me think about a lot of horses because what might those physical problems be in horses? Sleep disturbances for sure, um, ulcers, the tendency to be hurt more, Um, to be mysteriously lame, uh, to be, to not like to be touched or girthed up, um, to be really highly reactive to loud noises um, or new things. They're just not super flexible in any sense of the word. They can't relax. They can't, they can't ramp up and relax flexibly. Their, their body is inflexible. So they get injured more. You know, if you imagine like, I don't know, a rubber band versus a pencil. If you bend the rubber band, it bends. And if you bend the pencil, it breaks. So the inflexibility there. And um, so with 10, I just, I don't know that she really, I mean, I, I see it sometimes relaxing and, but I don't know that she ever fully settles And I was thinking about it the other day and I was like, man, I really wish I had the time because she is a really cool horse. She's very smart. And I, I love a very smart mare (laughs) and she's sensitive and she's checks all the boxes, but I do not need horse number three. And, um, I don't have the time, but she, she's just really cool because you can tell she wants it so bad. Like she just wants to befriend and connect and, she does seek that connection, but she's scared to death of it. And um, I think what would go a long way is helping her feel more comfortable in her own skin. You know, that oversensitivity to touch. And um, there was another, you know, quote in the book about befriending instead of suppressing the energies of your own inner experience to not be alarmed by the way that your body feels in itself, you know, um, there's a principle called alexithymia or a condition rather where, um, individuals just don't know what they feel in their bodies. There is, you say, what do you, what does that feel like? I couldn't tell you have no clue. Um, and so, yeah, it's, I, I just wonder how how it must feel to be in a body that is riddled with that much anxiety and tension and how far it would go to help her work slow and methodically and also to have the benefit of positive reinforcement classically reconditioning that negative association with humans and to to get more comfortable to regain that confidence to learn that you know life isn't, you know, one that has to be something that is terrifying. And I don't know, just if her story speaks to you, and you feel called, then don't hesitate to shoot me an email. We are in Arkansas. Uh, Keep that in mind. But she is free to a good home. And uh, yeah, I'd be happy to send you some information. So shoot me an email if you are interested. But yeah, I think that her situation and story is a good example of what happens to a traumatized mind and body. And so I'll be clear, I don't know what she's been through, but I can tell from the way that she is and lives that she has been very afraid for a large part of her life. And uh, I mean, it makes sense, right? We, I mean, especially in the racing industry, um, and really it's pervasive in all breeding, but, um, you know, being more closely associated with racing, I see it a lot in thoroughbreds that the norm is to wean at six months old. And that creates a lot of anxiety and stress and creates so many disruptive issues and attachment science really points in that direction. And I'm, I'm interested to do a podcast on attachment science as applied to horses and weaning, because I think that would be an interesting, interesting series to look at. But, um, more than that, a, a body that has been traumatized and that has been through something, you know, frightening. One of the, one of the things that I think happens a lot to horses is, um, this concept that Pavlov described and they talk about in the body keeps the score that, um, sort of you enter this scenario where there's a collision of two contrary processes, excitation and inhibition. And when those two things happen simultaneously, you get a breakdown of that equilibrium. So what results is a condition called inescapable shock where the organism cannot do anything to affect the inevitable So a lot with horses is when they're, you know, I see so many horrible training practices where there's no right answer for the horse. They like, for instance, I mean, the first example that comes to mind is like, um, you know, the old breaking practices or sacking out horses where you're just flooding. You're just trying to desensitize horses to things by, um, confronting them with the strongest, uh, intensity of a stimulus that they're afraid of. And so you like maybe tie a plastic bag to the saddle and then just let them run and panic and be afraid rather than teaching them progressively by keeping the intensity low and gradually building up to the full intensity, um, so that they're not flooded and terrified. Um, but so inescapable shock in this would be that the horse can't find a right answer. There's nothing that it can do. It can't run away from the plastic bag. It can't fight the plastic bag. And then it just goes into shutdown. And then there's not really life behind the eyes anymore. And when, when the horses get to that, stage, you start having all of these sort of weird little outgrowths. Like there's another um, condition called paradoxical inhibition where when, you know, a, say a gunshot goes off and every other horse freaks out except for the traumatized horse. And you're like, you're not afraid of that, but you're afraid of your shadow or a small like dark spot in the grass. And that's that paradox. So, a weak stimuli gets an extreme response and a strong one gets no reaction. Um, And so, the ultra-paradoxical one is the positive responses to negative stimuli. Um, So, loud sounds or starvation, then they end up with a positive reaction. So, um, that explains a lot of you know, when people say, well, if they didn't like it, they wouldn't do it in terms of like, you know, competing at the highest level of sport to often to the horse's health and wellness detriment, you know? Um, so it's, and I'm not implying that it's so traumatic to be at the top of the sport that, you know, they end up with this ultra paradoxical stage of inhibition, but, um, it is a, a worthwhile contemplation, I think. Um, but yeah, so they sort of they end up in this in this state, this damaged like um, continuum in their mind, almost where they are not living a life where they're rooted in the present. They are responding to you know shadows of the past, and they're triggered by things in their environment that you know signal or that sh- sets off something in their brain that says, we're in danger, this is like that thing that happened to us that we couldn't get away from, it was horrible, and then that similar si- similar extreme response crops up again. So yeah, I mean, any, any amount of working with trauma, horses or humans, is gonna be a process that takes a lot of patience and requires a lot of time and going slow and being dedicated to it, you know? And uh, like I said, some good ways to work through uh, beyond just your basic desensitizing um, counter conditioning practices, like we've talked about in so many episodes on the episode or on the podcast. um, I think that incorporating some of the yoga-inspired principles and movements from the core conditioning exercises book. You know, you can clicker train and target over poles and shape the behavior. Um, You can use play and train horses how to, you know, have the like jolly balls or play with the big ones. Um, There are all sorts of things that you can engage that sort of that part of them with I feel like it's it's potentially easier to unlock in horses than it is in humans um and so but you know it's something to work up to because you can do too much too fast certainly but thankfully horses like people are incredibly resilient and have a propensity towards (laughs) self-actualizing where they they want to move toward the the neutral good you know um, so yeah, I feel like this is sort of the natural conclusion of this half of the book. It was very neuroscience heavy and a lot of it was very focused on stories and, um, just brain scans and all of that good stuff. But, um, the latter half of the book is more focused on the treatment modalities. So if you're interested in that half, uh, let me know and I'll make a part two to this one. But yeah, I think the next thing that I'm going to do is maybe the, the Gottman levels. I'm going to see if I can find time over the next couple of weeks to sort of put that episode together. But until then, be sure to comment below on this episode. If you're using Spotify, there will be a place where you can tell me what you want to listen to. And uh, if you have a particular question that you'd like me to answer for behavioral purposes, don't hesitate. To become a premium member of the podcast where you can ask me anything and I'll answer in your very own premium feed episode and you also get episodes for for ad free you know that's pretty lit Um, also just for everyone aware don't hesitate to join the discord server it's open it's public you can go do that and enjoy that. Um, there has been some activity on there. I'm not as active as I'd like to be. Just be forewarned. Um, but make sure those of you that have have joined, that you're introducing yourselves in the introduction channel. You know, get to know everybody. Start a little conversation. Share your ponies and Pony Pick Appreciation Channel. All the things. Um, but yeah, let me know what you think. And I will catch you guys in the next one. Bye.